Good afternoon, Cornerstone. Today I will lead us in our scripture reading. And today's scripture reading is Ephesians 5, verse 1 to 2. <clears throat> Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. The word of the Lord. My wife and I, my wife May and I would wish you a Merry Christmas this coming Saturday for you and your family. And as we remember Jesus' first coming as a baby in the manger, we have hope as well in his second coming as the risen Lord and judge of the living and dead. But these truths that we look forward to at the Advent season also profess to us and remind us of his presence with us by his spirit in the here and now. So as we remember the past and we look forward to the future, we know that he has promised to be here with us in between those two things we look forward to and remember. His spirit being with us is transforming you and me to be in his image as those who follow him as Lord. And this is the focus of today's text in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Think about it. I mean, when we got up this morning, and for those of us who are here present, uh, when we got up and we were getting ready to come, what, uh, how, did, how did you choose and how did I choose to wear what we're wearing right now? Think about that process. How did you, what were you thinking about when you decided to wear and choose the clothes that you are now wearing? Uh, those of you online, maybe you're, well, hopefully you're wearing something, but uh, how did you choose what you're wearing as well? Um, did we have something in mind, an image that we're trying to model ourselves after, or maybe some, some kind of image that we're trying to project to others by the things that we put on our bodies and wear so that others will think well of us or something? What is that, what was driving us to choose the clothes that we wear? Um, you know, often we try to imitate someone or something, some image in our mind. And who, so who or what are we trying to imitate, be like? Jesus called people to himself, saying this common phrase, come and follow me. And so he meant to literally follow where he was going, right? He wanted them to follow along with him. But he also meant, follow what I'm doing. Follow the way I do things, the way I teach, the way I care for people, the, the way I minister to people. Follow my teachings. Follow me, myself, personally. Imitate me. He meant all these things in that statement, follow me. And look at Jesus' example. Jesus, the Lord of the universe, creator of of all that we know to be real, became flesh and then was born of a woman and born to be the first day of his life in a feeding trough for animals. And he was born to parents who were poor. And, and his father, Joseph, didn't even live to before, he must have died sometime before Jesus was an adult. 
And so that was hard. And then he grew up in this unspectacular, average, small town called Nazareth. And we know Jesus, being incarnate God, was the best of the best ever to be born on this world. And yet, we see that Jesus didn't strive in his life to go and live at the best place and to strive for the best schools and to strive for the best career. No, he did not. He, instead, he lived quietly in this small town Nazareth until he was about 30 years old, at which time he went and was baptized by John the Baptist. And this is when he began his public ministry. We often live like we should strive for what the world defines as the best or whatever that image is in our mind is the best. So we strive for the best schools to go to or the best job to have or the most secure job that is be best to have or, or to go live in the best location or to live in an area where our children can have the best schools. And, and we, it's nothing wrong with these things and of themselves. Not at all. But we must ask ourselves, what is the image in our minds that, is, that we are trying to imitate and strive after in pursuit of these things? What are we trying to model ourselves after? Jesus taught his followers, saying, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. Who are we trying to imitate? Well, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, has the command right off the bat. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And the word therefore connects then what was just said to what is being said. And so what was just said in chapter 4, verse 32, listen to what it says there. It says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So to paraphrase, be kind and caring and forgiving just as God has done for you in Christ. In a sense, uh, in other words, model yourselves after Christ Jesus. He is the image that we pursue to imitate. Therefore, then we say in chapter 5, verse 1, it makes total sense, right? This is what is said in the end of chapter 4, and then we go back to 5.1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly beloved or as beloved children. But how can we imitate God? An imitator is just simply someone who copies or mimics or follows or attempts to follow a pattern or an uh, example. The Greek word here translated as imitator carries this meaning simply as one who is like another. Or a follower, we could say, like a follow-the-leader type thing, you know, uh, that game we used to play. We try to imitate. And then earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, the Apostle Paul as well was dealing with this idea of following or not following uh, to the Ephesian Christians saying, and listen to what he says there, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in futility of their minds. So in other words, don't imitate the unbelieving Gentiles. Then the last verse of chapter 4 says to be kind, like we saw, and tender-hearted and forgiving as Christ was to us. So don't follow the unbelieving Gentiles. Do follow and imitate the Lord Christ as he has shown you through his life. So therefore, chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. And what's the difference between an imitation and a fake? 
right? Aren't both of them the copy of the original, right? Yeah, they are. But with big difference in intention of why it's copied, the original is copied. Uh, for example, let's see how well you do. Which of these is the picture of the real Mona Lisa? The one on, let's see, okay, on the left or the right? For your left and your right. So you're saying the one on the left. How many people think it's the one on the left? And how many people think it's the one on the right? It's the one on the left, <laughs> right? So does that make the one on the right a fake? Well, it depends, right? It depends. If, if the imitation is presented as an imitation, then no. But if it's presented as this is the real Mona Lisa, then yes, it's a deception. It's trying to fake you out to get you to believe the wrong thing. You know, the first engagement ring I bought, you know, this tells you right away, the first engagement ring I bought May uh, was a fake. I thought it was a real diamond. And then it wasn't until I went to Taiwan and proposed to May, and then, you know, she said yes, and we were all excited, and we were going to go talk about wedding rings. We took it to a jeweler, and they said it was a fake diamond. Now, you can imagine how I felt. I felt deceived. I felt taken advantage of. I was angry. And uh, so when I got back to Denver, Colorado, where I was living at the time, and I took it back to the store, I had this whole, like, you know, oof, I was going to let them have it. And they apologized deeply and replaced the diamond with a real diamond, which, of course, I went and had it checked again to <laughs> make sure it was real. Um, yeah, it, it was horrible to be taken advantage of with a fake that was supposed to be real. But how are we to be imitators of the real and almighty God? Well, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2 tells us how. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice and sacrifice to God. So, how do we imitate God? We walk in love. Simple said, difficult to do on our own. But how do we walk in love? Well, we, it says by following the example of Jesus' life and death. Uh, his life was full of examples of love of others, and his death was the ultimate example of his love for mankind because he gave up himself for the penalty of the sin that we deserve. Even though we were sinful and rebellious, he did this on behalf of all people so that now we can be forgiven by faith in him as Lord. So many things, many things can be faked. Uh, think about it. But love, authentic love, cannot be faked for very long. It will be revealed as fake. Think about it. Attraction can be faked. Interest can be faked. But when someone tries to fake real, authentic love, it's going to eventually be revealed that it's a fake. Uh, real love is self-sacrificing and has a servant's heart. Fake love will not be able to con uh, continue that kind of uh, deception. True love cannot be faked. Unfortunately, May and I knew of a man who's now deceased, but uh, we knew of a man who had been married 18 years. This is in one of our previous churches that we'd served at. Uh, he was married 18 years to the same woman, and then uh, they had three children together.
But when the oldest child became a teenager, uh, he and his three children uh, found out, discovered their mother and his wife having an affair with another man. And not only did they discover that, but they also discovered through this whole process that everything, pretty much, that their mom and his wife had told them over these 18 years was a lie. From the point of where she was in her background, about the issues and things around surrounding her mom and dad, uh, it was everything. Everything was a lie. And so you can imagine how devastating it was to this man and his children. Uh, and they divorced. And because of the strength of the Lord Christ, who this man followed, he was able to continue on fathering his three children. You see, fake love cannot be just faked forever. It will be revealed as a deception. So how can you and I be imitators of God rather than living as fakes, as followers or uh, Christians, we could say? Living as a fake in this context we're talking about is like saying, I bear the name of Jesus uh, or Christian, and yet, really, I am not following Jesus. I'm following some image, uh, deception, or perversion of Jesus that isn't Jesus, or I'm, I'm actually pursuing my own things, and I'm just putting on the label of a Christian. How do we imitate God? Well, again, it says in Ephesians, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we walk in love as Christ loved us by, first and foremost, trusting in God's love that he has for us. So God's love is so important for you and me to understand as followers of Jesus, um, more, even more so not only to understand but to live in and abide in his love that he has for us. This is very key. First uh, John 3, 1 says... See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, children of the living God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Why did God create the universe? And all that we know in this reality and people um, that He knew would rebel against Him and sin against Him. Why would He do something like that if everything was going to get messed up? Love is the only thing that makes sense. Uh, why did God the Son, Jesus, God incarnate, come and be born into a manger and live his life on this world of darkness and violence and sickness for a people that rejected him ultimately? Why would he do that? Because of love. And we know from the scriptures that verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. And whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It was the love of God that propelled Jesus to live and teach and heal and love sinful, rebellious people. It was love that enabled Jesus to leave his glorious existence in heaven and enter this world of darkness and violence and sickness for our salvation. Jesus freely gave himself up because... He himself existed in the understanding and experience of God the Father's love for him and God the Holy Spirit's love for him. You see, Jesus, God the Son, is in a communion 
of, of love relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. The three are one, and the one is three, the Trinity of God. Jesus could do what he did for you and me because he abided in God's love that existed within this communion of love within himself. You see, the deeper we trust in God's love for us, the more we are willing to give up ourselves for, for God himself and for others to know God's love through us. In other words, we let go of trying to control our lives because, brothers and sisters, control is an illusion. We cannot control our lives. God is in control. Ultimately, he is in control. We can try to control. We can think we are controlling, but no, we do not have control. Now, I found a good illustration of this in a book I'm now reading called With. It's just called With by Sky Jathani. Uh, it's this story or this um, illustration of Henry Nouwen, who was, he's deceased now, a Dutch priest, a uh, professor, an author, and he saw an illustration of how trusting in God's love frees us to let control of our life, let go of the control we have of our lives. And he did this by observing this uh, group, this traveling trapeze troop from South Africa called the Flying Rodleys. All right? and, and he went and he wanted to watch this out of curiosity because he had never seen anything like this. And what he saw by watching them was like theology in motion. Um, he saw their, in their flying and spinning, as if you've ever seen this on TV or in real life at a circus, uh, he saw the theology in motion. Yeah, thanks for putting that up there. Uh, Nowen observed that the flyer, so this, the flyer is the person who lets go of the trapeze and then flies and twirls and does somersaults in the air. He noticed that while many people are looking at that person, the flyer, because it's like amazing to watch, um, the only reason, the real performer that the whole act depends on is the one who is there to catch because the flyer would never do all those things and feel free to do those if they didn't have absolute trust in the person who's going to be able to catch them. Right? Otherwise, it'd be a little different <laughs> if they didn't think that was going to happen. So he, everything depends on the catcher, and so this led Nowen to look at his Christian life differently when he saw this and understanding his life with God. To more fully engage in this new thinking, uh, this new metaphor for his Christian life, he put on a harness and he went up the trapeze as well. And he wanted to experience this freedom. And so at, this, at 60-something at that time, and he was his former Yale and Harvard professor, uh, he giggled as he flew through the air before he fell into the net that caught him. Of course, you know, he wasn't doing the trapeze stuff, right? And then he had so much joy that he wanted to immediately get out of the net and climb up again and do it again and again and again. And, and this is what Nowen wrote of this experience. If we are to take risks, to be free in the air in life, we have to know there's a catcher. We have to know that when we come down from it all, we're going to be caught. We're going to be safe. The great hero is the least visible. Trust the catcher. You see, now in knowing he was safe 
when he jumped off in the air, knowing that he would be caught by that net, it freed him from the fear of heights or injury, and it replaced that fear with joy. Childish joy. He giggled. He had fun. And when we trust in and abide in God's love, we are set free to walk in love at risk to ourselves because we know we're going to be caught by God. We are children of the living God. We have a loving Father who wants the best for us and He has planned the best for you and me in the end. So do we trust the love that our Father in heaven has for us? Do we trust that He's got it? He's got us? That we're going to be caught in the end, ultimately? No matter how hard life is this side of eternity? So we walk in love as Christ loved us, first and foremost, by trusting in God's love. And then also, by we see in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, by offering ourselves as living sacrifices. This goes in the sense that we are now free to risk ourselves because we know we are abiding in God's love for us. As Ephesians 5, 2 says again, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus sacrificed his life for us. Now he sends us out to make more disciples of him so they also can experience his love and truth. And we do this by offering ourselves up as sacrifices for his work and for him personally. And we now belong to Jesus. He is our Lord and our King. If we believe in him and follow him, he makes the calls in our life. And our lives are not our own. They belong to him. So why do we keep living our lives like we are in control, that we need to strive for these things that the world tells us we need to strive for, or our parents tell us we need to strive for, or the education tells us we need to strive for? Not that that is wrong, but what is driving us? Is it Jesus that's driving us toward those things, or is it ourselves driving us for those things? Jesus taught in John 15, verses 12 and 13, saying, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. See, Jesus never asked you and me to do anything he hasn't done himself. And he gave up his life for us, and now he asks us to follow him by giving up ourselves for him sacrificially as an offering that's fragrant. Listen to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, and this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We imitate God by walking in, trusting the love of God that we've seen and experienced in Christ Jesus offering our bodies as living sacrifices, giving ourselves to his work on earth and making disciples, sharing Jesus with others, caring for the needs of people that we see around us, helping those who are facing injustice and being their advocates in the name of Christ. And this is what defines our lives as followers of Jesus because you and I are becoming and being transformed into his likeness. We are imitators of God himself. And this is what he showed us. It's like two very fascinating creatures, the caterpillar and the chameleon, right? The chameleon 
uh, has this amazing ability to adapt the color of its surrounding uh, environment, like we see here, kind of blend in. But Christians who live like this are at risk of not really having an effective witness if we always just blend in to be like everybody else. But then there, on the other hand, there's the caterpillar that has this amazing ability to morph into something completely different that's beautiful, like the butterfly. But the interesting part of this is the process makes the creature first appear dead and silent for a while until it metamorphoses into this inner transformation that happens and then, we, and then it becomes very beautiful. And this is more like the transformation that's happening in you and me in the sense, as the scripture says, we're being renewed day by day, even though our outward body is wasting away, but Christ is transforming you and me into his image if we are truly following him and abiding in his love. So are we imitators of Jesus being transformed into his image, or are we fakes, bearing the name of Christ, but not really transforming? We're deceiving people, misrepresenting Christ, because we don't really follow him in the first place. You know, imitation is commonly how you and I have learned almost everything we, we do. Think about it. Um, I mean, yes, we can research, which a lot of us have to do for either education or jobs, and learn information and knowledge, but that's not really learning, that's knowledge, gaining knowledge. But when learning happens is actually when we take what we know and do something based on it. That's when we learn, really learn, is when we act on what we know. So think about it. How did we learn to brush our teeth? Did we read a book the first time? No. It was either our parents or our siblings that showed us how to brush our teeth. And then we tried it. And then they probably corrected us. And then we tried it again. And then we learned by being shown. And we try to imitate what we saw. I mean, think of all the things that we've learned. You know, how did we learn to talk and walk and ride a bike and learn to drive? Yeah, there might be some gaining knowledge at first, but then we have to imitate somebody who's showing us how to do it. Repeating an action after someone's showing us how. And the most influential people in our lives are those who raise us, which for most of us are our parents. And the reason why we are like our parents so much and we capture the good and the bad of our parents in the sense is because we've watched them for years and years and seen them repeatedly do things and say things and everything over and over again and we imitate them because of this close proximity and this love we have for our parents. And this is why Jesus had his disciples with him for three years before leaving them. He taught them he, but he really, they really learned from watching him and being with him as he was with people, watching him teach and heal and rebuke and drive out demons. And they watched him walk and they watched him sleep and they watched him eat and serve. See, to imitate someone requires close attention, close relationship. And if you and I are to be imitators of God, of Christ Jesus, as he as walk in love as Christ loved us, then we need to be, pay close attention to Jesus and his life and learn about him and what he taught and how he lived and how he reacted to people. And then we will be able to better imitate him. But we can't just do it by reading about him. It's also that he is here with us and his spirit 
enabling us to do and to live like he lived. And this is why the Apostle Paul wrote so strongly in Philippians, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. He wanted to know Jesus and become like him, even in his death, even in his greatest suffering, to be like Christ. So we remember the coming of Jesus every Christmas. But why do we do that? It's not to get the gifts, I hope. Uh, as you get older, that, it gets kind of less and less. At least that's what I've found out. No, it's because you and I as followers want to be like Christ. And the more we remember Christ and how he came and how he lived and how he died and how he rose again and his promises for the future for us, the more we are transformed in his image because it becomes more and more the image in our mind and our heart of how we want to live for Jesus. This is what Christmas is all about, is being like Jesus. It's not the Christmas trees and the pretty lights, though I like to see those. Uh, it, it's, it's Jesus. Be like Jesus this Christmas, brothers and sisters. Live like Jesus. Walk in his love and love people in the name of Jesus. Let them know why you're doing that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us in Christ Jesus, your Son. Thank you for your mercy on us, rebellious, sinful people. And Lord, we, we pray that we now, by the power of your Spirit, here at Cornerstone, would represent you well this week as Christmas comes and goes that the family members that we interact with, the relatives, our neighbors, our, our people we work with, whoever's in our life, Lord, would know that we are your disciples by the love that we have for them in your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.